Hey friends, welcome back to another episode. You are listening to another story where we are going to regale you <laughs> with who knows what because it's not my story this week. It is Megan's. My turn now. It's your turn. Shit. All right, let's hit it. From the you want to hit it? Hit it. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, feeling loopy from just being tired. I know. But I know. I know. All right, friends, friends, family, loved ones, <laughs> everybody. Today, I'm going to mm. ruin Uh-oh. one of the most beloved foods oh, for no. people. Uh-oh. As long as it's not potatoes. <laughs> oh, girl. <laughs> oh, girl. You're How kidding. You no. Know? You're I'm going to ruin potatoes, You're guys. You're kidding me. Buckle up. <laughs> Oh, no. Okay, Poison Pals, I did not have any she did clue not. beforehand what this was about. I literally, the first thing that popped in my head is like, as long as she keeps my fries pure, mm, mm. I'm good. Yeah. Apparently not. Apparently not. Yep. <laughs> well, actually, fries could be. Uh, fr- <clears throat> fries are okay um but that that said i i'm really you know i'm just i'm just being playful and joking i think on some level potatoes will be ruined for people today but i i want to put a um a warning a a prefacing out there like a disclaimer disclaimer that's the word this is not like a diet advice episode at all take everything that you hear everything that you hear today it is fully researched. You know, I will give my sources, but remember that any toxicity, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like vegetables or foods, things like that, it's always going to be dependent on a person's body weight and size. So at the yeah. end of the day, just have fun listening to this episode, but you know, don't take it as me being like, you should cut this out of your diet. That's not the case. <laughs> it's just going to be fun facts. Okay. So yes. Cool. Let's talk potatoes. Oh no! All right, but I want to I want to open with a, a little story to set the okay. scene. All right, Ready. here we go. In 1979, South London, Ooh. 78 schoolboys. And when I say <laughs> schoolboys school in South London, I'm like, I know they're wearing their little, their shorts and their blazers and yeah. they're rolling the the circle with the stick. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They have knee, 70, high, knee high socks on and knee a high socks with loafers. Yes, love yes. it, love it. Okay, sorry. Seventy eight school <laughs> schoolboys simultaneously come down with a mysterious illness with symptoms ranging from vomiting, diarrhea, to fever, and even oh. central nervous system depression, resulting oh. in convulsive episodes. Oh my god. Some boys showed signs of peripheral circulatory collapse, meaning that all your blood systems in your peripheries, so mm-hmm. like your phalanges, your your <laughs> your outer limits of your body collapsed, uh, even though they were technically hydrated. Doctors were soon able to trace the cause of this mystery epidemic to one critical event that happened just 14 hours before the onset. Mm-mm. Fish and chips. <laughs> All, <laughs> all 78 schoolboys had eaten boiled potatoes for lunch. More specifically, boiled green potatoes. Green. Yes. So green potatoes had. meaning potatoes that have their their peel have turned green from exposure mm. to sunlight. 
Okay. Okay. Got so it. like if you have ever, you know, bought a bag of potatoes, um, mm. maybe potatoes, not like dark russet potatoes, cause that'd be really yeah. hard to tell when they're green, but like, <laughs> you know, simple gold, yellow, yellow yeah. potatoes, yellow potatoes. If mm-hmm. you leave them out in sunlight long enough, it starts to the uh, increase its chlorophyll. And oh. so you'll see the peel turn green, but that green is also an indication slash warning symbol for something else that's increasing in the potato as it sits oh out in sunlight. Okay. Okay. So the question is, <laughs> and I, I've technically already answered this, but are potatoes that have greened poisonous? <laughs> right. Yes, they are. But also on some level, all potatoes, regardless of their coloring or greening, do carry some level of toxicity. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. And that's because potatoes carry um, an alkaloid called solanine, which is a Mm. specific toxin that can be found in plants of the nightshade family. Mm. And popular vegetables in the nightshade family, which, by the way, the nightshade family scientific name is solanaceae. I even looked up how to pronounce this. I never (laughs) forgot. But solanaceae. I'll just go with that. Include tomatoes, eggplants, bell peppers, and other various peppers. And potatoes. So what? I just maybe ruined a bunch of food for all of you. <laughs> I was like, all the delicious ones. I know. Okay. So. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, yes, yes. I, that's very interesting because those don't really, they're not related to each other either. I mean, they're related in a way that they're all in the nightshade family. But well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I didn't look further into like at what point genus species no no (laughs) but like a like for example a bell pepper is very different to a potato you know absolutely yeah how they grow is different like potatoes are tubers from underground i would be curious to understand that lineage definitely huh okay but i didn't do that research i was all about the potatoes today Yeah, yeah yeah okay so let me real quick give my sources oh yeah yeah i pulled from the smithsonian I pulled from DoveMed.com. They don't got that official org (laughs) designation. I pulled from the blog site Nature's Poisons Mm -hmm. by Justin Brower, who is a doctor in chemistry, but also a forensic toxicologist. Fantastic blog. I sent it to Harini the other day and was just like, oh my God, this is a a wealth of toxicology knowledge. And it's very cool. So go check it out. Justin Brower, Nature's Poisons. And the BBC, the Journal of Nutrition and Cancer. Okay, let's talk about solanine. So what is solanine? As I said, it's an alkaloid. More specifically, it's a glycoalkaloid that nightshade varieties use as a defense mechanism against scavengers. So this, (laughs) you know, particular (laughs) vegetation, family vegetation uh, evolved over time to produce Mm. this toxin um, because you know what? Tomatoes, eggplants, bell peppers, potatoes, they are damn delicious. And mm-hmm. I know they're probably getting scavenged all the time. So they're like, yeah. we got to up our defense. <laughs> so they have solanine in them. Wow. They also have another uh, glycoalkaloid that has the same exact effects as solanine. And this other glycoalkaloid is called chaconine. But I'm mm-hmm. not talking about chaconine today. I'll talk about it a little That's bit. That's a cool name. But yeah, C-H-A-C-O-N-I-N-E, chaconine. Mm. That's how I've been pronouncing it. Just, you know... They go hand in hand and they pretty much do the same thing. So I'll mostly just be like talking about solanine, but just no chickenine. It's the same. All right. So that's what solanine is. That's why it's in the nightshade family. Why 
are green potatoes more risky con- to consume than regular non-green potatoes if mm-hmm. they all carry solanine? So mm-hmm. I will explain. As tubers, potatoes mature underground, right? They mm-hmm. bulb underground and they mature underground. If a potato is unhilled or uncovered and exposed to sunlight for a period of time, the potato will increase its production of chlorophyll for growth mm-hmm. and energy and will also increase its production of solanine and chaconine. Mm-hmm. The potato essentially has evolved <laughs> to know when it's been uncovered oh. and therefore increasing its toxicity to deter dis- wow. ter- scavengers. That's so cool. Yeah. While the color green from the chlorophyll itself is harmless, it's just a good indicator that the potato has higher toxicity and is more likely to taste bitter. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So if we want to compare to tomatoes, tomatoes yeah. do have solanine in them, but at a very, very smaller scale level than potatoes. Um, most gotcha. often, if there's, if there's any type of solanine poisoning, it is through potato consumption. Mm-hmm. But with tomatoes... If you think about how a tomato grows, tomato does not grow underground. It grows above ground on a vine. And the extremely immature tomato is green and hard. And Mm -hmm. so that makes sense when an immature tomato is green and hard, it's going to have higher levels of solanine in it Mm. because it doesn't have that protection of ground cover. Therefore, the tomato knows that it's more likely to be scavenged at a younger stage um, above ground. And the reason why it develops into red over time, well, it's it's ripening, obviously. Mm-hmm. But to start green at birth, essentially, helps prevent, helps allow it to grow. It helps prevent Correct. it from being Correct. scavenged and therefore it can fruit and reproduce. Right. Whereas a potato doesn't really start green underground. Mm-hmm. It becomes green once exposed. It's like the yeah. opposite way. So it's already mm-hmm. fully ripened or whatever you want to call it but once it's exposed it's like now i'm mostly at risk whereas yes. a tomato it's like i'm young and i'm a baby and i'm at risk now in right, this yeah. exposure so That's so yeah so it's just cool. kind of cool kind of cool right question yes i mean i don't know if you know this but in your research um for example if you were to eat green because i know people eat like fried green tomato i don't know if that's mm-hmm. like a sp- different breed altogether where I don't know what fried green, like green tomatoes are in that context. Like, is there like a whole uh, breed of tomatoes that are green all the time or are they actually picking out unripe tomatoes? Right. So um, this actually is something I did come across. So green tomatoes are just regular red tomatoes that aren't fully ripened, Mm -hmm. but they're not the total immature green tomato it's gotcha. that in between stage and right. um yes you, you we do eat it we do cook it but also keep in mind that again the solanine levels in tomatoes is much less right. than potatoes right. so it is safer to consume and we also need to take note that we have modified our veggies so yeah. that we actually do have potatoes with a less amount of solanine and tomatoes mm-hmm. with probably virtually no solanine you know gotcha. at this point so it is safe to eat, you know, fried green tomatoes. But there's no fun in, in that. I'm just, I'm just talking about the unmodified, right. raw you know, potatoes <laughs> and tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But does gotcha. that does that answer your question? That does. That does. Cool. 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 All righty. Different parts of the potato plant have varying amounts of solanine. 
the more superficial and vertical you go, so above ground you go on a potato plant, the more solanine you will find. For example, the tuber itself, sans peel, so, you know, just the white part, no peel, Mm -hmm. has the lowest level of solanine. The skin or the outer 10% has a slightly higher level of solanine. And Mm -hmm. if it's green, that means there's even more solanine, right? Right. The sprouts, flowers, and leaves can have (laughs) up to 700 times the amount of solanine compared to the tuber. So that is why we don't eat potato leaves or (laughs) flowers or sprouts. So if you do have a potato, you know, we've all had potatoes that have started to sprout. Oh, my God. (laughs) It, you know... Those sprouts are um, high in solanine levels and oh. honestly is like a good indication that you should probably toss that potato, yeah. not mm-hmm. eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Uh-oh. that's actually a good note because a lot of solanine poisonings happen when there is some sort of famine happening or people are mm-hmm. trying to really, really save their produce when mm-hmm. they you know, can't afford to get more or something. So it's totally understandable if someone has a bag of potatoes and they see that it's sprouting they're like you know just cut the sprouts cut the eyes peel it it's fine and i've done that and that's actually you know on some levels that's okay because so many things like were revealed you know revelationary to me when i did this study because i've always grown up with my mom being like peel the potato peel the potato especially russet potatoes and i just thought it was because the skin is like hard and doesn't really add anything to a good mashed potato meal And I know that there are some very nice mashed potatoes out there that have the skin in them. I know. But I finally was like, this is the reason why we we have to peel these and cut the eyes and the the stems. Because eyes actually have solanine in them, too. That's a big indication. If a potato has a bunch of eyes, that means it has a high toxicity level. So I was like, damn, I just I just thought it was because it was ugly. No, (laughs) I thought my mom was like telling me to cut this because it looks bad in the, the appearance of the food. and evil eyes man yes yes so that is why yeah like on some level you should be peeling and cutting and all that and um my gosh yeah so i don't know was that that was knowledge to me but it's only because like no one ever told me about like specifically why no i mean yeah i think i'm trying to remember now like does my mom my mom usually does peel everything but there are times where she won't Mm -hmm. but I guarantee you, even if my mom was like, okay, peel the potatoes, it's definitely not because she thinks about this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she exactly. doesn't have that background knowledge. She just does it because that's what she was taught to do. Exactly. But it's so interesting because that means, I mean, I don't know about like, obviously in this scenario, the story that you started out with, they clearly did not do that. I'm assuming like they just boiled it with the skin on maybe. Oh, so yeah, going back to the boys and tying it into like famine and all that stuff, the potatoes that they ate were leftover potatoes that had been sitting since the semester before. Oh my God. And so they were just Uh. old, probably greened, exposed potatoes. I don't know what was happening in 1979 South London if the, (laughs) you know, the school was just being cheap or like there really might have been a shortage in food. So they're like, we really have Mm. to like be you know, savvy about this. Um, So that's why they ended up all getting sick because they were old potatoes. (gasps) Yeah. So it didn't even matter if they had peeled that skin. Yeah. It it, it (laughs) didn't matter because if a potato 
ultimately has green and all the yeah. various other things plus the stems and all that even if you cut that off that means that the toxicity in the potato as a whole even the white part has increased makes sense yeah makes sense okay yeah no i was just gonna say it's really interesting because i wonder if that was just something like our ancestors like just like our historical human as a person like all the way back then maybe we learned to peel the potatoes because you know just through trial and error people would get sick because as you say that was probably the most purest form of the potato before we you know had gmo and and modify the shit out of things so i think that's just been like a historical method to preserve us and survive right Right. no i i absolutely think that's the case I did read from the Nature's Poisons blog that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, historically, our our ancestors actually always stored potatoes in cold, dark places, even after Ooh, they're, they're uprooted. So that was smart. how they stored them, because yeah. it is something that was just like a knowledge, because also poisonings back then were much more common, right? They didn't have the modifications that we have now. Yeah. They don't have the refrigeration systems, all that stuff. So yeah. they probably, it was more real to them to be poisoned yeah. by um, you know bad potatoes so that that's why they probably were more you know aware of it mm-hmm. and stored it and were very good about practices so around smart. it and like going back to our moms i yeah i completely agree i think my mom peeled potatoes because my mom's mom probably yeah. told her peel the potatoes but it, i <laughs> doubt they ever thought about why to do it mm-hmm. they were just mm-hmm. told to do it so they passed it down passed it down but right. i'm sure somewhere in that lineage somewhere in that cultural conversation there was a starting point where it was like we are totally. peeling these because it helps prevent these <laughs> symptoms of vomiting and diarrhea and sickness right. and fever and at some so point cool. that language is just lost but it's almost like yeah. it's a survival thing like it's it, it that's evolution happening right there and it's just that's it's so wild cool. it's yeah. evolution and this is actually it's kind of similar to what we were talking about on your last episode about CBD, about mm-hmm. how plants evolve kind of with humans, right? Yeah, yes. uh, This is like a different way of that happening, of course, but the plants are evolving because of, I'm assuming either like animals or humans right. were plucking them out or gr- right. pulling them out of the ground too early or yeah. too much. Right. So they evolved and then we're evolving too based on that. It's just so, it's that co-evolution that Dylan talked about right, on the right. podcast, the yeah. Red Queen Hypothesis. So that's really, really interesting. I was going to ask you, Megan, so right now or prior to this episode, mm. how do you store your potatoes? So my potatoes, the, the most recent bag that I got have actually been in the fridge, mm, okay. which is weird for me because okay. prior to putting them in the fridge I had always stored potatoes in my like veggie slash fruit bowl that's out on the counter and that's mm-hmm. my uh, you know it's my mm-hmm. onion and potato and right. shallots bowl you know what I mean right, um, right, right. I, I actually don't buy a lot of fruit and maybe that's bad <laughs> <laughs> but I have that bowl because it's like to me that's dry goods almost yes. like those are dry yes. veggies mm-hmm. um, now they are the bowl where it sits on my counter is not exposed to any light. And so in my life of buying potatoes and cooking with them, I've only seen my potatoes sprout a couple times. The one time I've seen them sprout so much, they were actually in a cabinet, you know, with no light or source or anything, but I just hadn't touched them in a really, really Mm -hmm. long time. Like I was not using them. And so they just on their own will like eventually start to sprout. 
Right. Yeah. Right. And, and sprouting is an indication of growth. And so yeah. that would make sense for them to produce more solanine at that time because they're growing and therefore mm-hmm. need protection. Yeah. So. I almost wonder actually, because I I've experienced the same thing. So mm-hmm. I do like a little bit of both. I tend to overbuy potatoes because I use mm. potatoes use so a lot. Often. Yeah. Yeah. So I have like my bags and so I have my same as you like I'll have like my dry veggies as you say like in the bowl uh but then I actually started to buy more fruit so then I had to put it in my cabinet so Mm. it's like dark and dry as Mm -hmm. we were talking about but it's interesting because I do notice that they sprout more when they're in that like dark dry space right and I wonder if it's because it it, it's it feels like they're underground again yeah and that's why they're growing I think so I think so. I think it's like, oh, I'm back in the dirt and there's right. no light. I'm going to yeah. go for the light. Ah. Like, I'm home. I'm home. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Potatoes wild. are so cool. Okay. <laughs> They're so cool. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. so I, I, I think that is the case. So, uh, that that said, let's talk about uh, farming tactics that are used today. So farmers are actually very well aware of the potential of high toxicity in potatoes you know Mm. um i'm sure that there's regulations around how to farm potatoes but they are often hilled farmers very scientific about it they try to keep the solanine a level of potatoes to like 0.2 milligrams per kilogram of body weight it's a very 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 small amount yeah and so that is something that they are aware of and when they even when they like, let's say they just did a harvest, but you know it's going to take a while for the har- for the harvest to be bagged. The farmers, even when they've already uprooted them, they will continue to cover them in dirt so they don't have that exposure to uh, sunlight okay. over time. Yeah, interesting. So, so That's don't cool. worry, it's like safe. It's safe. We're safe. It's safe. Our farmers got us. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Solanine's method of action when it okay. comes into your body. What's what's happening yeah, yeah. there? So. Solanine and chaconine are acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Oh, yeah. So, so, um, like quick review of ACHE inhibitors. ACHE is what breaks is what breaks down acetylcholine in the body. Mm -hmm. Acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter responsible a lot for your um, muscle contractions and your motor activity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We we see a lot of acetylcholine esterous inhibitors in poisons when a acetylcholine esterous is inhibited Mm -hmm. it cannot break down the you know abundance of acetylcholine that might be in a synapse and um, causing this transmission of a signal Mm -hmm. to for example make a muscle contract right right and so when there's no acetylcholine esterous to break down acetylcholine it will just continue to transmit, 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 and that can lead to things like vomiting. That can lead to things like seizing or, you know, um, convulsing, mm-hmm. things totally. like that. So that is the main method of action or, you know, this is the main thing that these alkaloids do. There's a second mechanism of toxicity. And and what it is is that solanine and chickenine actually have the same structural backbone as cholesterol. And Mm. cholesterol makes up one-third of our intestinal epithelial membrane. Mm. So when you ingest solanine or it's in your body, because it has the same structure, it can either associate with the cholesterol in the membrane of your intestine 
or it just inserts itself directly into the membrane. And this is what causes the physical discomfort side of these symptoms um, in the gut and abdomen, along with the diarrhea. So that's that's the two mechanisms of action for solanine and shakenine. Totally makes sense. Right. This causes the, you know, gut discomfort because the morphology of your intestinal membrane has essentially been disrupted. The this particular mechanism of toxicity can cause symptoms that are often confused with IBS. So oh. solanine and chaconine have very long half-lives. Mm-hmm. It takes 25 and up to 35 hours for half of these ingested alkaloids to be removed from the body. Uh. Therefore, someone who may have eaten a meal of potatoes with low toxicity wouldn't feel any negative effects after that meal. But if they were to continue to have that same meal the next day and the next day and the next day, these glycoalkaloids, they do build up because their half-life is so long. And therefore, you start to get these symptoms that feel like IBS. And so if you are, you know what, you know how it's trending right now on TikTok, like hot girls have IBS. Honestly, (laughs) hot girls, we might just be eating too much potatoes. Potatoes. That yeah. is that is where I was like, this might be this might be the ruining aspect, actually. Here's here's the for me where I want to be mindful of like, you know, you don't have to take potatoes out of your diet or whatever. But right. so it, you know, IBS is something that impacts a lot of people. And I, I will speak for myself. This is mm. my feelings mm. around it. Uh Harini, you probably know this pretty well. Some of my friends know this well, but especially my sister too. Manira, my Manira and I talk about this all the time. <sighs> I have a suspicion that the Gesner girls, me and my sister, mm. we are just cursed with, you know, some sort of gut <clears throat> issue for the rest mm. of our life. Yeah. Um, this is going to be quite gross, but I'm sure people can relate. <laughs> I very rarely have fully solid stools. Really? There's many reasons for that. I'm sure uh, I've always been bad with water intake and it's improving. But even when I feel like I've drinking a lot of water, like really legitimately have done the full proper dosage of water in a day. Yeah. I still have like not the best shaped stools. So knowing that and reading about this. Yes. I don't eat a lot of potatoes actually mm. in my I, I mean I eat them probably an average amount you know definitely in fry mm-hmm. form when I get the chance um, right. but at home cooking I don't really eat potatoes that much but what I do eat a lot of I eat a lot of tomatoes and while mm, tomatoes are yeah. much lower in toxicity yeah. right now in my fridge I have a bag full of like there's eight Roma tomatoes in one bag when I go shopping <laughs> Yeah. For tomatoes, yeah. I get a lot and I eat Same. all of them yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Here's another thing. Again, this is just me talking about my life, my personal health issues. <laughs> I have struggled with eczema for a lot mm-hmm. of my life since teenage years. Mm-hmm. My eczema definitely was kickstarted by an allergy to copper or whatever is in my fencing lame because I used to do fencing mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. metal in the jacket that gave yeah. me a rash and itchiness and led to eczema. And even though I've stopped fencing, I still have eczema to this day and it will pop up in locations that maybe it's never popped up in before. That is just yeah. how my eczema works. Yeah. And I also read in my research that 
beyond the symptoms of vomiting, diarrhea, dizziness, and blah, 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 that solanine can give you, solanine is also attached to eczema. Like solanine can cause eczema. That's so wild. So when I read that, my jaw dropped because I was like, I eat, I know, I know I eat so many tomatoes and I'm always struggling with this poop situation and I've always struggled with eczema. Dude. Despite all, you know, despite leaving my sport, I still get eczema. Why? Right, What's causing right. this? Is it just a genetic thing? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I mm. don't like, you know, like I don't have proof of causation, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I want to do a little experiment experiment for myself. I actually think for a month, I'm just gonna cut out tomatoes to see yeah. what happens. Yes. Yeah. That's how you. That's honestly how you figure these things out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm so curious. That's that's just me doing my own test for myself. That is not me giving again like a, I you know I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not um, a real healthcare professional or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people to take what I'm saying and being like, oh my god, yeah, I'm gonna cut all these things out. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, bell peppers, they are super rich in other positive positive things oh, yeah. that like oh, yeah. you do need in your system. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like just for me, I'm like let me just experiment. Let me yeah. see what happens. And I, I will like come this. back in a month and I'll let you guys know if anything's that's, changed for me. I'm excited to hear the results of this because yeah. I think that's a great theory as to yeah. why it's happening. I also wanted to ask, so when you were growing up, did you mm-hmm. eat a lot of tomatoes and or potatoes in the house? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it's just both are, I mean, both are staples in all food oh, culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, in Malaysian cuisine, it's in every dish, especially mm-hmm. potatoes. Actually, potatoes are like in every curry, every stew. Yeah, um, exactly. But tomatoes, yeah, tomatoes are cooked down into a paste. Like we do use it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also, I mean, this is. I'm I'm just trying to think of other ways because I know you were also saying that tomatoes have already have very low amounts mm-hmm. of the. Can you say it again? I forgot how to pronounce it. The solan. A solanine. Solanine, solanine. Yeah. It has very low amounts of solanine in it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wonder, because I think it seems to be primarily on the skin, maybe a little bit permeating inside the actual fruit of the mm. tomato itself. Mm-hmm. But also, we have no idea what is being sprayed on these tomatoes. That's like true, fertilizers. too. We don't know right. what's in that. That's also aiding in that. Yeah. And I know I, I would do a bad job of this is washing my produce Mm, mm -hmm, i don't mm -hmm. always wash it i'm lazy yeah i'm curious like maybe like that also if you i don't know if you wash your your tomatoes all the time because i think sometimes i'm like i'm gonna cook this anyways you know yeah absolutely then it's just like then it's just like a fertilizer soup (laughs) (laughs) um no i'm I am totally guilty of the same thing. There are days where I'm cooking and I'm like, I'm too fucking tired. Like, like the, the pot's already going and I'm like, oh, right. I forgot to throw this in. Okay, skip right, the right. wash. It's all going to get burned off anyway. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which probably, which actually, okay, is that mindset is probably wrong because yeah. like solanine as an example, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know if fertilizers can be burned off or whatever, but mm-hmm. solanine there's no evidence that boiling or baking or whatever your potato Clearly, yeah. gets rid of the the solanine. There no. is, okay, this is going back to the fry thing, so this will make okay. me happy. There is evidence that frying it 
because I think it's such a high temperature. Yeah. Does um, eliminate the solanine amount a little bit. So fried will eliminate all the good (laughs) and bad. So I believe it. (laughs) Um, But but that is to say like, yeah, like I should do a better job of washing my produce, you know, but I also think of those um, videos or commercials where someone's cooking and then they wash their produce and they always, it's always the classic. There's a tub, uh, a nice clean kitchen basin and -hmm. it's filled with water already. And Mm -hmm. they're just, you know, washing their, their veggies in a nice tub of water and it's all clean. And I'm like, I don't have time disinfect my kitchen sink every single time Mm -mm, to make mm -mm. this nice wash of vegetables and agree. Yeah. So I just do a quick little run it under the faucet. (laughs) Okay, done. (laughs) Actually, that might be a good next episode because this was something actually even this morning as I was having breakfast, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this because I bought, I buy watermelon pretty much every week. I love watermelon Damn. because I love it too. But like it. it, it just do you buy it pre-cut? Because it's the cutting for me. It's so tough. Sometimes I buy it pre-cut, but if I ask Dave to go to the store, he always just buys a big old thing because he never nice. buys pre-cut. So he just cuts it for us. That's but, so um, nice. I have realized. So when I was I was having the last of our watermelon this morning, and obviously it's ninety percent, if not more, water, right? Right. Right. And so I'm I'm like eating my watermelon. And sometimes it can taste it tastes great. But mm-hmm. sometimes the water component, it tastes very earthy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of it kind of like tastes like like dirt, like that earth yeah. flavor. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And this is something going all the way back to Allie's episode. Allie's episode where she's talking about water. And I'm just thinking, like whatever I'm eating right now from the watermelon, it's basically whatever soil this watermelon was growing in it's just Mm -hmm. basically accumulating all of that nutrients or Mm -hmm. bad things in that soil or the water that it was grown in and now i'm ingesting that and eating that and i don't know what is in that you know and i'm just like praying let's just hope that it's all good like (laughs) i know so i'm so curious it's actually been on my mind for a while i was like i should just do more research because i know the research is not it's not great. It, and this is right. like, there's a lot of research on it, but the outcomes are not great. The results are not great for right, us as right. humans. That's like the trajectory that we're going on in terms yeah. of like how we treat our produce and what is going into our produce. And then that's going into our bodies. Like it's all related. It's all related to like the level, yeah. level of diseases that we now have and cancer and right. et cetera, et cetera. So right. maybe, maybe I, you've I, inspired me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good research project. I've always been interested in that because to be honest I flip-flop all the time in terms of that theory because I think today uh Mm -hmm. you know today we are in in human history we are at a point where we are the healthiest humans have ever been because of uh you know in some part modifications to our food to our healthcare and all that like that is a thing that are we the healthiest or are we living the longest Right. Like what is the definition of healthy essentially? Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I'll go to we are living the longest. But that that is why I also flip flop because I'm also like, you know, yeah. um, the uptick of unique cancers is mm-hmm. always increasing. Like or, you know, cases of yeah, cancers yeah. continue to increase. And yeah. there are times where I'm like, you know, what's causing this trajectory of, you know, cancers or sicknesses? And is it is it does it come down to how we've modified or you know grow our food 
and that's just i i don't know it's speculation Mm -hmm. but i think Mm -hmm. that's why it's like it is a good research project i think it's such a challenging research project because i'm sure all that information exists but there's so much and it's like so much to dig through and Mm -hmm. lord knows i don't have the you know attention span to like read all these articles on data around how we grow our food and how we've industrialized our foods Mm -hmm. to the connection of cancers so like yeah it's a lot yeah yeah so anyway i also wonder because sorry i just one last thing mm-hmm. megan when you when you're in malaysia mm-hmm. and you have the food there do you notice any difference in like the quality or the taste of the produce of, over there versus here i know it's been a while since you've been well <laughs> here's the thing it has been a while malaysia we do have vegetables there but they don't eat they don't eat veggies the same way that we do in the states mm-hmm. um and they don't like to to this is not really answering your question, but like it is rare to see a salad in Malaysia. Just oh, yeah, a yeah, fresh yeah. green cut salad. Yeah. Like, yeah. So um that said, do I notice a difference in the quality of the produce? Like when you have like the so, same yeah. curries over there, mm-hmm. like do you notice like a difference in the flavor? And the only reason I'm asking is because when I go to India, I notice a strong difference in the mm. produce there. Like I know mm. people who like go to Italy. They're like, oh my god, the tomatoes taste so good just on its right. own there. Blah blah blah. Right. And when I go to India, like there's like part of the dish, or, or part of like the accoutrements, I would say mm-hmm. that go with like your basic curry or whatever mm-hmm. is they just slice and cut a side of red onion just yeah, like that, yeah. just on its own. Maybe a yes. little bit of salt on top, and then you just eat it like that yeah. on, with the yeah, yeah. With the dish. And I could never ever do that here in the U.S. because it's so it's so astringent and bitter mm. and like mm. spicy in yeah. that way. And in the in India, I can eat it all freaking day. Like yeah. there's almost like a sweetness to it. It just has more flavor, etc. And I noticed that in the curries, the curries have like twenty times more flavor right. because right. of the produce that's going right. into it. Yeah. So that was just the question I was going to. No, I I, I feel you. Honestly, it's been too long for me to make a, a, you know, truthful, honest answer. I don't want to guess. But I will say like, you know, because Malaysia and India, I will agree that when I go to Malaysia, I think the food is just so much more flavorful. Like it's Mm -hmm. so... Mm there's so much depth and as much as you might try to replicate here at a restaurant, it's just not going to be the same, but is that because of the produce, you know, value Mm -hmm. or, you know, how the produce is grown or is it because of just, of course, in the country of origin of that food, it's just going to be better because they know how to make it just right. (laughs) Right. That said, (laughs) in terms of flavors, like India and Malaysia, they are the, that's the, the spice center of mm-hmm, the world mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they're going to have access to everything that makes those flavors so much more powerful and True. wonderful but yeah i i think it's a good theory as well the the red onion thing makes me laugh because that's something we do in malaysia too but we do it with peanut sauce it's just mm. plain red onion um oh, with yeah. some peanut sauce uh Oof. you know maybe some pressed rice some cute like yeah. cucumbers oh, bomb easy so good such a good meal and i do that here um, but I still eat the red. <laughs> I still eat the red onion here. To uh, to me, I kind of like the spice. But it, again, yeah. it's been so long since I've visited 
the actual country of Malaysia. Um, yeah. But I, I know I've I've eaten red onion in front of some friends before, and they're like, what? "Dude, how do you do that? Why you always got <laughs> onion breath?" And I'm like, "Because it's a I grew up it's that so way. It's the so onion good. cuts the grease of the curry. Yeah. It makes Have sense. Never... <laughs> yes, it's true. It's acidity. It breaks through yeah. all that grease and fat sometimes. Uh, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I was just. <laughs> I guess the point of me bringing that up is I. I definitely think it might be more of a United States thing. I do think it happens mm. all over the world, but I do think we are so like the leaders in modifying right. things right. or like having new techniques of preserving. That's one right. thing. Like we want to make things bigger and last longer. Right, right. And I think that may also be aiding in some of these toxins to like grow yeah. more or even evolve in a different way that we don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to that's just me like spitballing. I'd have to do more research on yeah. that. But now I think I'm curious. I think it's very possible that our new I'm pretty sure nutrition value wise, we have some of the best nutrition in the world. And it might seem like, oh, that's not the case. Like there's I just went down a rabbit hole of maintenance phase, which is a brilliant podcast about these things. But anyway, like mm. um but uh you know, people might be like, oh, you know, fast food or whatever. Like that's you know, that's what's plugging plaguing the United States and how could you say our nutrition is the best but I it is I think it is true you know factual I dare yeah. say that our nutrition is the best in the United States but it can also be true that while our nutrition has improved so much there might be some side things that are happening too who knows yeah yeah, yeah so very interesting anyways Let's go back to Soul Nine. <laughs> Sorry. No, I love that. it. I actually love that this has become a culinary, a culture and culinary talk too. I, I love mm-hmm. talking about cuisine. Anyway, um, so you know, final questions: How yes. much is toxic? How much mm-hmm. do you solanine or green potatoes do you have to eat yeah. to um, experience these symptoms or you know experience toxicity? For the average human, it's it's going to be such a big window. So you know, yeah, be patient yeah. with me. It's, 70 to 350 milligrams of glycoalkaloids is toxic. Okay. Again, remember this, you know, human sizes vary. So that's why yes. the toxicity window is so big. So Makes 70 th- to 350 milligrams of glycoalkaloids is toxic. For reference, a non-green peeled potato has only about 10 to 150 milligrams mm. of glycoalkaloids, right? Mm-hmm. Doing the math... On the most conservative, conservative level, you could eat two potatoes and experience toxicity. On the most, you know, brazen, I don't know, extravagant end, you could eat up to 35 potatoes and then experience toxicity. Okay. And these are non-greened, regular potatoes. I don't know what size. Are we talking russet, golden, reds? No idea. (laughs) But I think that's why the window is also so big. Okay. So given those estimates i guess two versus 35 potatoes at the end of the day it's mostly just like look out for that greening peel because that's when you know that the toxicity level in a regular potato remember non-green potatoes 10 to 150 milligrams a greening potato it jumps up to 200 to like you know something Mm. a thousand milligrams of toxicity so if you see a green potato it's just like uh Maybe not. Maybe don't yeah. do it. <laughs> Even if you peel that it, it could away. still be toxic. Yeah. yeah. All right. What are the antidotes to uh, salinine poisoning? In these cases, 
medical professionals will administer activated charcoal to prevent further absorption of the compound into mm-hmm. the body. Sometimes laxatives are administered. They just want to get it out of your gut. Yeah. Um, an intravenous drip. Um, on a, you know, occasionally a gastric lavage. So washing mm-hmm. out the abdomen can happen too. The prognosis is very good. It is extremely rare to die of saline poisoning today. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of um, cases around saline poisoning deaths were like back in the mid 1800s, 1900s, probably even before then. But like these are recorded cases because saline was not isolated until like 1820 or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's why like you get more cases of this poisoning right. post 1820. And again, it's in times mm-hmm. of famine or you know there's maybe a shortage of some sort of food that's when these cases are more likely and in a lot of recorded cases you'll see that it's like a family will all get poisoning together because they're all eating a meal together it's always large numbers occasionally you'll see a you know report of i think there is one girl again back in the early 1900s she actually ended up dying of saline poisoning but because every day on her way to school she would pick a berry and um, there are certain berries that are part of the nightshade family. Mm-hmm. I think there's a berry specific to the European black nightshade that I guess is edible on some level, um, but she would pick a berry or uh, several berries every day on her <laughs> way to school. And she did that for so long. It just oh built up, God. built up, built up. And she eventually passed. And she was like a little girl too. She's just enjoying her berries and oh, no. probably getting severe IBS and then eventually dying. Like oh, God, horrible. But um, horrible. that's, that's, you know, one example. So that's the antidote. You can definitely get sent to the ER. You know, today you can get Mm -hmm. severe enough saline poisoning that you get sent to the ER. But if you are, it's almost like 100% you're likely to recover if you get the necessary help on time. So do not be frightened of, you know, suddenly being like, oh my God, eyeballing your potatoes. Like, oh, you're going (laughs) to poison me today? I don't know. Yeah. So um, one neat thing. Because with every negative, I guess there's a positive. Saline is used for certain cancer therapies. So I yeah, feel yeah. like you've, yeah, you've talked about this in the past with other poisons where it's like, yeah. you know, it might be negative in this way, but in uh, some healthcare, it is used for other things, which right. is always so fascinating. Mm-hmm. But saline, so I'm saying saline, solanine, <laughs> which is also called alpha solanine. I think that's okay. the, like the really proper term for it, alpha solanine. Um, it's used or being explored as a cancer therapy because it does possess anti-pyretic, anti-diabetic, mm-hmm. anti-allergic, anti-inflammatory, wow. which almost seems like contradictive. But again, if it's for cancer, then like it's a different type of anti-inflammatory that we care about. Right. right? And it does have antibiotic activities. Wow. In recent years, alpha-solanine has been explored for its anti-cancer activity and showed very promising results. Among all sources, potato peels contain adequate concentration of alpha-solanine. Every year, a large volume of potato peels is produced as a waste or sold at low cost. So alpha-solanine can be proved as an effective and cheap source of cancer therapy. So I thought that was cool. Wow. That is really cool. Hmm. Yeah. So to wrap it up, back to our 78 (laughs) schoolboys, all of them made a full recovery. None of them died. However, apparently a few of them did experience hallucinations for several days after recovery. And that is something that can happen from selenine poisoning. (laughs) 
So that's it wow. on the green potatoes. Wow. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That was that was a fun ride. He just took us all on. I know. That's wild. Yes. I would never never have thought ever. Right. So well, why don't we know about this? I don't exactly. understand. It's it's I just think it comes down to it's the it's like we know these small things, like the peeling right. of the eyes, and the sh- you know we know these small things peeling that we recognize. Of the eyes. <laughs> right, but I, I think it's literally just like it's we pass it down as a culture, but the yeah. reasons get lost, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we just accept it as um, you know this is the what, how you're supposed to do things, this and we don't mm-hmm. question it because at the end of the day, we don't. There's no need to question it because it to like it's always been a positive impact on us to do mm-hmm. these practices, right? Totally. We, we, if, if there was a negative impact on us on these practices, we would have questioned it at this point, right? Yeah. As like a society. Yeah. Right. So that's why I'm like, we don't know about these things because things have been good. That's so <laughs> we don't question things yeah. when things are good. And that that's is the moral correct. of the story. <laughs> that's correct. That's so correct. Actually, this is like very adjacent, but somewhat related. Mm-hmm. And it's getting to the things of like, why we do things um Mm -hmm. and that was like a big thing growing up for my mom because i think a lot of people they will just do things religion wise and not knowing the rituals or the traditions behind it and the why behind it right and my mom was telling me she's like really into like understanding why we do certain things so in like hinduism when you are basically praying Mm. uh you have I think this is kind of common in many like Eastern culture or East East Asian cultures, but you'll have like a bell that Mm -hmm. you ring to kind of like wake up all the gods. And then you also have like a plate, like the dia or the lamp with the fire. And you're like, basically you're using both of your hands. Mm. So you're using one hand to ring the bell, using your other hand to basically hold the light. And she was saying like the whole point is to use both sides of your left and your right side of your brain, because we Mm. don't often use that when we're, on our day to day. So the idea was you're supposed to be praying every single day in the morning and at night. So you get that kind of, um, you kind of massage those parts of your brain twice a day. Yeah. That I love thinking about things that way, especially when it comes to religious practices, because, you know, you're making me think of when we do our, you know, five prayers a day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've seen, Islamic praying, you know, we do the standing and then we bow and then we go to a full prostration sort of thing on the so you see us go up and down and up and down. And there is one point in my life where I was like, you know, on what level is this also just to stretch in the morning? You know what I mean? To do this action. Especially like stretch there there's a prayer in the morning. There's two prayers that are, you know, early afternoon, late afternoon. And then there's the one right after your dinner, essentially, Mm -hmm. and one all the way at night. And I'm just like, is this also just a way for people to make sure that their blood is flowing? And they're, you know, they're stretching after their meal. And besides the mindfulness aspect, like, there is a there is a point I think I actually had this thought when I was praying. Sorry, Allah, sorry. (laughs) But I was like, also, on what level is this just purely meditation maybe like i know it's tied to islam and i know it's tied to praying to this god Mm -hmm. and all that but like who who's to say back then that's their definition of meditation essentially you know yeah so i was like huh anyways it's so cool it's so cool (laughs) to think about these things but yeah Yeah. i think i think the overall message is 
I think it's really important to think about the why because a lot of the stories that we do, we are so far removed from mm -hmm. the inception of a certain event or discovery that right. we have it's lost in translation quite literally as to why we are even here sitting here today and being able to do the things that we're able to do. Right. There's always a reason behind why things are done. It's not willy nilly, you know, mm -hmm. there's a method to all this madness. So it's nice yeah. to kind of bring those back to the light, right. to the light, unhill them, unhill them. <laughs> I do wonder uh, for folks who go to culinary school, I bet they know all this stuff. I bet yeah. in some part of culinary school, you yeah. learn the history of the why and why we, right. we cut this this way or we wash this this way or whatever. Totally. I mean, <sighs> you said like the farmers know, like that's so mm -hmm. cool. That's yeah. their trade. Of course they know. Right. And it's just like, the average person doesn't know that, which right. I think we would benefit from, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Maybe... Yeah. You'll join me in my little science experiment to see if, you know, removing potatoes or tomatoes from your diet has an impact, but don't yeah. feel obligated to do that at all. Enjoy your best life. Eat those <laughs> potatoes. Eat those French fries. But just now, every time you eat a French fry, you'll be like, I know you're a poisonous at some level. <laughs> you little fry, you. You little fry? No, I, I, I guess one last question I have that maybe yeah. other listeners might have. Mm -hmm. I know I get to a point where sometimes my potatoes start growing little sprouts. Yep. Do we think at that point it's safe to still eat it? Like in terms of, should we just cut them off? If we peel it all the way off, do you think that's fine? Or right. uh, is it probably unsafe at that point? Or do we not know? It's unknown because mm -hmm. what we do know is that the sprouts are an indicator of higher levels of toxicity. That is fact. Like yeah. the potato yeah. went from whatever its original solanine um, level was, and now it's going to have more. Mm -hmm. So that has changed. It's higher in toxicity. But what we don't know is ultimately like, yeah, if you cut it based on your body composition, will the higher levels of toxicity, solanine toxicity impact you? We mm -hmm. don't know that. But I mean, this is probably not good advice, given everything I said. But I feel that if you wanted to experiment on the opposite side of the spectrum and be like, I'm going to see what it's like to eat this one potato with the sprouts cut and everything and, and just see, do I get some sort of gastrointestinal discomfort yeah. within 24 hours? Yeah. And I think you could do that and you could be totally safe. If you're willing, if you're willing right. to see if there's a negative impact, I think you will be fine. Even if for some reason it does make you go to the ER, remember <laughs> oh, your God. prognosis is very, very good. So yeah, if you want to go that route, do it. <laughs> I'll do it on one of the days I'm feeling constipated. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh okay. Lord. Yeah. It'll cleanse everything out. That's for sure. All right. All right. Shall we do so antidotes? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Um, shoot. I had one and now I'm forgetting what it was. Oh, yes. Yes. This is my antidote. Okay. So my antidote is the new season of Bridgerton. And oh, it's yes. not so much about the storyline because I'm sorry. If you love the story, that's great. The story's fine. The story's fine. Uh, it's, but my real antidote with that show is the casting. The casting they've cast, the two main women are these dark-skinned South Indian yes. Yes. Indians. Yes. Not just any kind of Indians because I was telling Sudev, I'm like, 
growing up, it was already far few between to even see right. uh, people, like Indian people on the screen. Right, right. And when they were, they, they were always like a Patel or someone yes. who was like a little more fair, like right, from right. North India. Right. So uh, it was really, really awesome to see a dark-skinned South Indian woman yes. be like the main love interest right. in a very major Netflix show. Right, right. And she has such a great, powerful, strong, witty, intelligent character right. to her and throughout the storyline. So it was just – I didn't expect it to really – affect me as much as it did as I watched it because yeah. I honestly went into watching it being like oh whatever you know yeah. and then <laughs> I'm here for the sexy yeah I'm just here for the the raunchy wild sex but right. um Medina actually was like you have to watch it it's very very good and Aww. I'm like okay I'll watch it mm-hmm. and I was like so overcome I was like wow this is like this is so inspiring this is so yeah. beautiful I'm here for it. Like, this is fucking awesome. And the reason why that they even had those two, because they were basically looking who's going to be the next, who are going to be the next leading ladies for the next season of Bridgerton. And there was a South Indian person who was working on the set. I think Mm. she's like one of like the people who are those screenwriters. Mm -hmm. And she pitched the idea of having the two main characters be Indian and from specifically a darker skin tone, blah, 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 the whole thing. So that is like the only way our voices or our people that look like you get to be represented and visible is people like you. Like you got to speak up and make sure everyone is seen and heard. So I thought that was just really awesome. Yes. That is so rad. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, there were absolutely like it is historically accurate that (laughs) there were Indian people in England during this time. And so it's like, why is it now that we're portraying this, you know, and or willing to portray this um right. so I'm like that's that's so rad yeah so cool yeah that's my antidote nice oh i'm happy for you that is that is a good feeling good 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 mm-hmm. my antidote is to be honest this episode when it comes to the tomato and eczema <laughs> linkage i'm like yeah oh my god like that it, it's such a kind of dumb antidote but that is <laughs> It's like a literal antidote for me because yes. now we'll see, you know, I'm yes. just, it's just so, man, eczema is such a bitch. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so yes, I yes. am going to take this knowledge and see if I can see if there's a connection. That's all. Yeah. Yep. I'm honestly so excited to know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yes. We'll, I, I we'll hope. send in my we reports. hope and pray. Well, I mean, I was going to say, I hope and pray that it works, but then obviously that means like maybe tomatoes are not the best thing for you. But I, right. I do feel like there could be a happy medium where you just Absolutely. cut down on the amount and it Absolutely. would be fine, yeah. you know? I, yeah. I, no more full full bags <laughs> of tomatoes as I leave the store. Just maybe one or two tomatoes. Eat eight tomatoes yeah. in one sitting, you know? We're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm serious. Like, I would probably eat one whole tomato per meal. No That's joke. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because- and usually raw yeah. and uncooked. I just love a fresh tomato with my there rice. You go. There yeah. you go. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, Megan, take Thank you, everyone, out. for listening. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> Don't risk it for that potato bread biscuit. Yeah. And I will so- tell you, I love me some potato bread. That shit's I good. love potato bread. It's so buttery. That's <laughs> so buttery. Thick. Mm. All right. All right, boys and pals. See you later. Bye.